Welcome on into the show. My name is Denny Gallagher, and I'm joined by the Snare Campaign Provocateur. And the only thing that he's juicing is a cleanse. It's Benny Horowitz. What's up, dude? Never done the roids, have you? Come on. Do I look like a guy that has ever dabbled in steroids? I, I mean, you don't look like you currently do steroids. <laughs> oh, back in the day. Mean you hadn't taken in a cycle at some point in your back, past. You know? Back in the day, baby, we used to have fun. No, just kidding. What's so up, if dude? You show up, if you show up next week with... Some fresh acne, a bigger, <laughs> bigger head size. We'll, we'll know something's going on. It will be one of two things. Either I've started doing the steroids or I've joined Scientology right down the street. I mean, out in L.A., you know, it could be some new, you know, type of enema, some, some, <laughs> some wellness thing that makes your head swell up. Like, you, know, you never know with you freaks out there, you know? I love it. You, you freaks. I'm out here two weeks and he's like you freaks i love it you know that came up last night that's an interesting question actually apparently it's a joke i was hanging out with a friend of mine last night who's uh kind of tied into the comedy community in new york Mm. and he says it's an ongoing joke among comics like how long do you actually have to live in new york to start making jokes about like you know new york and the people who were there and being annoying and apparently the loose number is about 10 years (laughs) I mean, you've become uh, super L.A. in like almost two weeks. That's right. Though, you know, since we are the New Jersey podcast of no, I would like to. Uh, we've had a pop culture slander the last couple of weeks. I don't know if you saw me tweeting about this. What happened? Uh, so you own the sitcom from back in the day, How I Met Your Mother. Yeah. And they used to slam Jersey a lot. And it's fine because that show was funny. Neil Patrick Harris is great. There sure. is a new one. Okay. Um, and they're like, it's how I met your father. Second episode, they're shitting on the bagels. They literally called New Jersey bagels a shit circle. And I don't need Hillary Duff doing this. Like, what have you done in your career, Hillary Duff, that you get to call New Jersey bagels a shit circle? Get the fuck out of here. Compared to what? Like, where, where does the show take place? In Manhattan. Oh, come on. Yeah, yeah. Trying to tell me a Manhattan bagel is better than a Jersey bagel? You're lucky to... To not find a Dunkin' Donuts at this point. That's right. Um, Here's something interesting, though. You know, it was, I think, uh, National Bagel Day the other day. Mm. And, of course, the uh, state Twitter account of New Jersey posted its gloating of New Jersey having the best bagels in the world. I had to agree. And I wrote a small chart that said, listen, this is how it goes. Number one, New Jersey. Number two, Long Island three the rest of the world like that's just how bagels go and i was shocked denny absolutely shocked at a number of comments coming close to 10 (laughs) touting montreal bagels oh which apparently you've told me is just like a circular baguette yeah um i i mean i've never had one but dude people were steadfast in telling me that uh, a Montreal bagel should be taken just as seriously or perhaps more seriously than a New York bagel. And But like you can't even like shit on them too much, right? Because they're, they're Canadians and they're so nice. Now, if this was Boston trying to come out for bagels, then then it's World War III. I was I was honestly shocked at the moxie in which Canadians were coming at me because I was like, <laughs> they must really believe in this because... Because a Canadian coming at me this strong must mean it's some serious business. I mean, like I said in there, I mean, you're hard-pressed to get me to eat anything but poutine in Montreal. <laughs> That's but right. I'll, I'll try it next time. I have tried the famous uh, London bagels, which are spelled B-E-I-G-E-L-S. It's kind of a more old-school, straight-from-Europe yeah. uh, version of the bagel. I think in the the West End of London, they have sort of a famous section with some of these old bagel places still there. And I did try one of the good OG ones. It was interesting. I liked it tasty, but it's like we're getting into like the Chicago, New York pizza debate because it was a very, it was a different consistency. It's just like, you know, you expect different things out of that bagel than you do in New Jersey. Now here's where I made the mistake. We tried the bagels out here Mm, and we went to this place and I, I don't even know what this is. I've had better bagels in, in Wisconsin than Los Angeles. And granted, that was Einstein's, but still, like, it's crazy. You're, you're, I got to tell you, take this from someone who's traveled this great country of ours. Yeah. Uh, in the region you are in, 
you're better off going to Einstein's. Yeah, 100%. It'll be fine. That's, that's your bagel now. I'll find bagel. you somehow, kid. <laughs> oh, man. Well, you know what segment we ship in each and every week, directly imported from exotic coasts abroad? Is it this day in music history? Si, senor. All right, so this day in 1985, a little segue for you, okay? I took it. I took it. I'm pretty sure. Lionel Richie hosts the AMAs, the American Music Awards, where he wins five of the eight awards he's nominated for, including favorite pop rock male artist. And directly after hosting the AMAs, heads to the A&M recording studio to record We Are the World, which she wrote with Michael Jackson. What a night for Lionel <laughs> Richie. I mean, five AMAs, and then you not only go to record the one of the more famous songs in history, you wrote the darn thing, you know? Um, so, of course, We Are the World was uh, the very famous um, uh, uh, charitable effort from uh, American musicians, uh, Ray Charles, Bob Dylan, Hall and Oates, the Jacksons, Billy Joel, Bette Midler, Willie Nelson, Smokey Robinson, Bruce Springsteen, Tina Turner, Stevie Wonder, go on and on. Quincy Jones was the producer. And, you know, the funny thing about this story is uh, apparently Quincy Jones had asked every musician prior to coming into the studio, check your egos at the door, please. Like we're trying to do something good. And I've been to these studios. I mean, you might think it's this like epic grand thing, but you know, there's usually like small kitchen with one fucked up coffee pot, some snacks, you know what I mean? And then like a big recording room, like, and when I imagine like these types of people walking into the studio with their crews and stuff, it must've been quite the sight, you know? Um, And another thing I didn't know about the, we are the world, Denny, was I hadn't realized that a few months earlier in the UK, they, they did uh, Do They Know It's Christmas by Bob Geldof. And I didn't realize that We Are the World was like the American reaction to <laughs> uh, the British doing it first. But then we invited Bob Geldof to sing the only uh, voice from outside America who was allowed on We Are the World. But... I mean, it was a huge thing. Even when I was like five, six years old, whenever this came out, like I knew the song and it was a big deal and I could still sing you the chorus. <laughs> um, and it raised $60 million for famine relief, which I hope it actually helped. And yeah, kind of a big day there in 1985. Yeah. And like I kind of insinuated, this was going to be mine too. Got a couple other things about this as I was yeah. doing some more digging. And this was the funniest thing to me. Lionel Richie tried to do this for COVID and nobody was biting. Oh no way he did. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Did he did he pen a song? I think he, he was just gonna run it back. How lazy. He was just gonna oh, run no, it back. He wanted to do We Are the World again? <laughs> yeah. For the third time. <laughs> oh, Lionel. Oh what have you been doing for the last last twenty five years. American you Idol. Up, yeah, one other one. <laughs> but uh there was a couple other interesting uh things from this one as well. Eddie Murphy was invited, turned it down. He did. Wow. Instead, Any reason? Instead, he offered them like a B-side to the record that was the supposed to be the follow-up to Party All the Time. And wow. so so yeah. And then uh the other thing, um Stevie Wonder, Ray Charles were not fucking around tonight. They were essentially like, "All right, we're doing this in one take or we yeah, the blind men out. here are driving you home." Right, right. So. Have you ever seen the videos of Bob Dylan during this? No, but I, I, I imagine he's crotchety. It's funny. <laughs> it's like just staring at Bruce Springsteen like, you fucking jerk. Like, it, it's, it's, he's just wearing it on his face. You can tell. But, you know, I got to give respect. I totally forgot this was like a Lionel Richie thing. Mm. I did. I, I, you know, you see the collection of faces, and at this point, like, you know, I, I didn't know who wrote the song, and the idea that Quincy Jones and Lionel Richie were in the studio till the next morning at eight in the morning and getting this all done. It's pretty cool. It's yeah. obviously a project of passion and I'm, I'm glad it worked out. Good tune. Good tune. Maybe just don't try to recreate it for the fourth time, Lionel. Who knows? Maybe. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Write a new song, Lionel, please. 
All right, Benny, I got a fielder's choice for you. Do you want to keep sports talk sexy right off the bat, or do you want to get into some hard-hitting music news? Oh, all right, let's go hard-hitting. All right, let's go hard-hitting music news. I've, yeah. I've, I feel like we should have a, like, 10-10 wins bumper here. All right, so we got a couple music stories here for you t- today. Um, let's talk about Neil Young versus Joe Rogan versus Spotify uh, in a ep- in a epic uh, cage match for the ages over streaming. Yeah. Uh, so Spotify is in the process of removing Neil Young's catalog of music from the service after the artist published and then took down an open letter with an ultimatum: deal with vaccine misinformation from Joe Rogan's podcast or lose Young's music. Two days later, after it was published, Spotify is now in the process of removing Young's music from the streaming service spotify told the hollywood reporter but fear not i just got a memo into the tune-up update desk if you will that neil young radio coming to sirius xm that's right i I actually checked the old work email and it actually served the tune-up today who would have thought so benny we got a lot going on here i got so many questions for you good for you you got neil young's catalog (laughs) nice i don't personally but you know howard stern does i mean first (laughs) off let's get off the steel cage match analogy because as far as this is concerned like joe rogan and spotify versus neil young is like a bear (laughs) and like an alligator flint tropics yeah versus like a house cat at this point like it's not going well you know like neil young hasn't had a hit in a long time he's not like some you know relevant 2022 pop artist i you know so so i think when he made this statement i don't think he was naive enough to think right that like oh spotify is going to choose me i think he just decided to put a line in the sand and you know take his music off of it the ultimatum part of it i think was uh theater a little bit because we all knew how this was going to pan out, right? Like it wasn't going to be someone from Spotify making a, uh, an impassioned, you know, plea to the fan base about what Joe Rogan does and getting involved into like basically political and divisive matters that Spotify has no interest in. So, you know, they chose what most bottom line corporations would do, which is they chose money. And this is why, you know, as we always bring up in here, um, why ethics shouldn't ever be left to corporations because Neil Young is probably right, but he's going to lose this battle time after time. Um, I mean, from a personal standpoint, uh, which I guess is the only way I could speak is I haven't heard Joe Rogan utter a word into my ears for years. Like I never really been the biggest fan. And then when he decided to interview that, uh, gross like nazi pedophile guy uh you know many years ago i was like oh jesus fuck this dude like he's how many times can you toe the line and fucking you know pat your crotch to the conservatives while you pretend to be some like you know psilocybin next level spiritual guru dude like you know i i can't watch this bald motherfucker with a cigar in front of an american flag you know, claiming to to have this like next level information about all this shit when you came from the things you came from. It's it's very Aaron Rodgers esque in uh, its um, bravado and total ego and just this, you know, total over the top fucking towing the line centrist white privilege motherfucker. And I could do without him all around. And I like Neil Young. So as you can assume, my 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 line in the sand has been uh chosen it was chosen a long time ago though you know like i um i chose that that guy is someone who can't represent a word that i say and neil young is and i decided that a long time ago so as far as a personal ethical standpoint goes it's an easy fucking decision for me but you know i feel like we're kind of venturing into the uh you know how we talked about all oh, like like the Kobe Bryant all all is forgiven. Uh, Bowie same thing, uh, sure. and unfortunately with Rogan he brings in the numbers. My question, you know, to, to try to bring some levity to this because you know spreading misinformation about vaccines is like a terrible thing to do, and it, it's gonna it's probably gonna hurt more people than it he thinks that he's helping. Um, yeah. But at what point? 
what, what do you think the point of success is where you hit that demarcation of uh of trying trying to sniff around because I, I i imagine as a comic joe rogan never thought that he was going to be at this place where he is like like a political landmine i don't know i that's the thing like Again, like, how can we make a conjecture? Like, I can't guess what this man's intentions are. You know what I mean? Like, I don't fucking know. I don't know what happens in Joe Rogan's bedroom. <laughs> um, I just know who he interviews and what he says. Yeah. And I think because of that, like, he he made a decision to me a long time ago to play the type of character that is giving up on a certain type of society. And it's a society I believe in. And that's why I can't have anything to do with a person like that. I think he's negative and divisive. Um, and I think when I see some motherfucker come on and like, I see these clips, do I have to see some fucking white asshole in a bow tie? Tell me what <laughs> black and white means. Like, no, no, I never asked for it. I don't want it. And fuck these guys. So I don't know. I don't know what else to say besides for that. Please don't put this one on YouTube. No, 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 no. So <laughs> it can stay in the pod. <laughs> so Punk drummer reacts to Joe Rogan. Then all of a sudden I got a bunch of fucking right of center white douchebags coming out. No, thanks. So when Newsmax wants to like stream the pod tomorrow and backs up the Brinks truck, we got to say no. We got to say no. Say no. Okay. Gotta say no. I'm not doing it. See, that's the thing with me, man. Like, I'll never get in a room with someone like that. Yeah. You know what I mean? Like, they, they, they know how to do things. They work with people. They work with emotions. And I'm too easily manipulated, you know? I'm, I'm all heart, baby. I can't, I can't hang with people like that. They're oh, too manipulative. That, that's why we hang out, right? So, so, so we can talk about Aaron Rodgers and whatever that's the right. heck. It's like when I interviewed uh, uh, Riley Gale from Power Trip. Mm. Rest in peace. He passed away a couple years ago. Mm. And it was right when the Trump thing was starting. I knew he had an opinion. And I was like, all right, so you have this unique opportunity to step in a room with Donald Trump. Like, what do you say to him? He's like, I don't. He's like, I punch him in the face. I'm like, whoa, what? Really? You don't try to get across? He's like, what can I say to that guy? <laughs> he's like, I'm a metal singer from Dallas. You know, like, like he's... He's just going to turn it on me in a million different ways because that's what people like that do, which maybe leaves your only uh, recourse as a nice solid sock to the nose, you know? Yeah, well, you know, that, that kind of, you know, we're kind of comparing apples and oranges here, but it brings us to our next music headline. And, Benny, I feel like we can't go a month without talking about Taylor on the show. Believe me, I do not want to talk about Taylor Swift on the podcast but the girl makes news. The girl keeps her name in the headlines. Ruffles. People uh, going after her. Yeah, people go after, go after her, her though. Yeah. yeah she, I feel like she doesn't do that much. She just, <laughs> it, it all comes to her. And then she writes a song about Jake Gyllenhaal, and we get podcast gold for like two weeks. Um, yeah. All right. So, one last music headline here. Uh, Blur singer Damon Albarn recently caused waves after he quipped about how Taylor Swift doesn't write her own songs. Uh, he was doing an interview with the LA Times when the journalist restated that Swift does in fact write her own songs and co-writes others. Damon disagreed. I'm just going to call him Damon. It's just easier. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> he, he says, that doesn't count. Uh, I know what co-writing is. Co-writing is very different from songwriting. I'm not hating on, on anybody. I'm just saying that there's a big difference between a songwriter and a songwriter who co-writes. So, Benny... For us, just fans out there, the peasants, the people that aren't aren't really putting in the work in the studio, uh, explain the minutia between songwriting and co-writing and where that line is. Yeah, I mean, there's a lot to it, honestly, and there's a lot of different levels of what different artists do where I can't just say, I can't say he's making a blanket wrong statement because there is some artists who... Um, will get a collection of, you know, I, I'm not going to guess a number, but a number of songs written for them by professional songwriters. They'll choose, you know, 12 of them that they really like. And you do have the option to change one sentence of that song, two sentences of that song, and then give yourself a coat writing credit. That does exist. And people do do it. Um, so to, to go ahead and say that like, oh, no, co-writing is totally legit. Sometimes it's not. And I know people who have 
been sent to places to be like, here, you and three other songwriters are going to sit in a room and try to come up with like a bunch of great songs and a bunch of pop tracks for these pop artists to use. So, so it very much exists. Um, but for someone like him, the thing that's interesting is that, you know, Taylor Swift has definitely had co-writing stuff. She's written with people, but she's very famously someone who like really tends to to write her own things. And someone who's been in a band like Blur and been in a band like the Gorillas or something, the type of relationship you build with like producers and engineers and the type of people you work with who actually have a say into your music. I mean, honestly, there's not a lot of artists who don't take any feedback and are just like this Prince level of confidence where it's like, this is exactly what I'm doing and you're all on board. Like normally people like, you know, Amy and Albert like send their songs to producers and ask their opinions and get tweaks and get all these different things. Um, so, you know, uh, I think there's a lot of gray area to what he's talking about. And because of it, he shouldn't have mentioned anything, you know, especially being a songwriter and not really understanding if he wanted to say in the interview what he did say, which was, I prefer Billie Eilish to Taylor Swift. Sure. You know, that's that's your opinion. But if you want to say Billie Eilish is a more legitimate musician than Taylor Swift, I don't fucking know. She doesn't write half of her songs either. Her brother does. So it's like like there's there's this give and take. And if you want to start like throwing darts at this stuff, you're going to hit a lot of balloons. And it's just like you got to believe the fact that 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 really creative and artistically driven people are behind these things and it shouldn't change the overall package at the end. Um, but it is a complicated process. And I think in this case, uh, he should have shut the fuck up about it. Like it seems like, you know, and, and it's the thing that we've also talked uh, on this show and also and offline about entertainment. People think it's like this massive sprawling thing. It's pretty small business. Yeah. Like why? Yeah. Cause you don't know who she works with, who like you may want to work with in like the future. And and we're not even talking about like other mu- musicians. Like we're talking about like producers. We're talking about, you know, like like roadies, tech people, all of that stuff. So if she's super good to her people and you're kind of bark- barking up that tree, it just seems like like why even pick this fight? Yeah, yeah, I could see it. But I think Denny, are you are you uh subtweeting me right now? Because of all the shit talking I do on other media and entertainment people in this podcast. I just did it. I just shit talked like the most famous guy in podcasts. I mean, that's now, different. I'm worried. There's I'm a there, there's a huge difference between somebody making a moral statement. This is songwriting. This isn't COVID vaccines. <laughs> what are you talking about? And then me saying, I think Joe Rogan is a, a line stepper. Yeah. <laughs> hey, man, the Kyrie Irving theory. As, 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 as long as you can play on, on the road and win us some That's games, right. all's forgiven. Keep those clicks coming, <laughs> Joe. You can say whatever you want. Yeah. All right, Benny. You know what that music means. It's what time is- to keep sports talk sexy. Sexy. Just, mm, just right up there, all up in your grills, all of the feels. First headline today. Oh, the NBA made it super sexy and super interesting. When on Thursday, they announced... The starters for the 2022 NBA All-Star Game coming to you in Cleveland, Ohio. Uh, LeBron will return to Cleveland as an All-Star Game captain. And we had a couple surprises as Ja Moran and Andrew Wiggins are headed there for the first time. A lot to make there. They they have never even been reserves straight off the streets into the All-Star starting lineup. Crazy story right there. Reigning Kia and MVP Nikola Jokic of the Denver Nuggets and Steph Curry joined them Thursday as the other players voted in the starting lineup for the Western Conference. Uh, the starters out east are Kevin Durant, Giannis Antetokounmpo, Joel Embiid, who, boy, Joel is just crushing it, um, yeah. as well as uh, uh, the Atlanta Hawks, Trey Young, and DeMar DeRozan of the Bulls. Wiggins is, you know, the story that, that we'll start with talking here because I think a lot of people were surprised to see him in the starting lineup over a guy like Rudy Gobert. He's having one of his most effective seasons of his career. It's amazing. I, I texted you this. A guy gets vaccinated and becomes an all-star. That's what this CDC should be using. Uh, he's shooting 40% 
from three for his career and a huge part of the Warriors defense. So, Benny, I will toss it up to you like this. Andrew Wiggins, NBA All-Star starter, keep it sexy. What is this QAnon nonsense you're talking about? (laughs) Vaccines give us superpowers now. What's mine? (laughs) Drumming. I need to be an All-Star at something. I got got three of these bitches already. Um, So, listen... Andrew Wiggins shouldn't be an all-star starter. Um, this is right. Like, can you agree with me yeah, on that? Yeah. The Warriors fan vote is so real. It's crazy. Yeah. So, so 50% of, of the all-star starters is weighted towards the fan vote. The Warriors are obviously like a massive popular team. Uh, the only way I would be able to justify this is if you were to make the, um, you know, make the point that, oh, there's no one representing the Warriors or something. Then I would say, okay, you got to get someone in, put Andrew Wiggins in. But even then, I'd be like, put Draymond Green in over him, who is a more important part of that team. And you already have your teammate, Steph Curry, as a starter. So I think what happened here more than anything is like, I've been hearing this positionless basketball thing for years now. Oh, it's positionless. But... I think Andrew Wiggins was just the only one people saw as an actual three to play the three, even though that's not the way we should be looking at the all-star team at all. I mean, if you want to make the case that Andrew Wiggins is more important to his team than uh, Rudy Gobert, than Donovan Mitchell, than Devin Booker, than Chris Paul, than uh, Carl Anthony, let's even stick to just front court players, Draymond Green, Carl Anthony Towns and Rudy Gobert are probably all more deserving than Andrew Wiggins. So I think the only reason he got slotted into the spot is because of the fan vote and this idea that like he's an actual true three. And the only other one who who was close in the vote that is a true three is, is Paul George who plays the four half the time he's on the court. So if that's the case, couldn't you also make the argument for Donovan Mitchell in his spot? Couldn't you make the case for Devin Booker in his spot? The Suns have no one represented in the uh, all-star starters, and they're you know, the best team in the West. Uh, could you make a case for Anthony Edwards at the three? So I think uh, the Andrew Wiggins one is is the thinnest of the uh, West picks by far. You brought up the Phoenix Suns, and I wanted to get to that next. It is crazy, and I, I'm not sure we've seen many all-star games where a, a team with one of the top records in the league is just shut out all because mm-hmm. of the fan. Now, it's 50% the fan vote, 50% coaches and players. So what kind of feathers is, is that whole crew down there ruffling that if they can't get the coaches and players from around the league to think that they deserve a starting spot? It's crazy to me. I mean, I think you're, like, you're really looking at like global reach kind of shit at this point, you know, like, there is something to be said for the fact that Steph Curry, Clay Thompson, and Draymond Green are the same three guys who won rings. I mean, we're talking what seven years ago now? Yeah, 2014. You know, like like so they they are an actual dynasty who like have fans all around the world. And the Warriors, you know, thing is just so much bigger than the Suns. I don't know if I don't know if Phoenicians know how to figure the NBA.com site out. Oh, um, no. <laughs> <laughs> they can't figure out voting, but they can figure out NBA.com. <laughs> Sorry, I just figured since they were so late to get Martin Luther King Day and there's oh no, maybe, maybe oh, they no. haven't got the internet yet. <laughs> um, but but that's another case. I mean, you can also make a case in the point guard slot that Chris Paul should have been an All Star yeah. starter. I mean. Let's move to the to the backcourt for the West. Um, you know, we have Curry and Morant. I think John Morant's a no no brainer for this one. Curry feels like the natural fit, but does either Chris Paul or or Luca deserve the start there? Everyone's always going to look at Ja, the newcomer, versus Luka Doncic. Uh, they both missed around the same amount of time. Uh, the Mavs have kind of fallen off. Uh, without Luca, as as compared to the Grizzlies, who have kind of kept it going, eleven and two without Morant in the lineup. Mm. But in every statistical category, Luca is a little bit better. Um, so I I think it just comes down to uh, the Grizzlies are NBA media's favorite story. Um, I think people love Ja. I think they love how fun that team is. 
And, you know, also when it comes to players and coaches, I'm not sure when Jaws' contract is up, but you start buttering the bread a little bit to try to get him out of Memphis mm. into a bigger market. It's all part of the game. Oh, they need him. They need him. Is it like in Jerry Maguire doing like the the walk? Like <laughs> when he brings when he brings uh, Rod Tidwell down for the walk. That's what they need to do for Ja. This is going to bring in the big sponsorship <laughs> dollars, kid. I love it. But uh, yeah, no, I mean, I think uh, it's Memphis is the story of the first half of the season. Media loves it, all all of that stuff. So, and you know. They may be the smallest media market, but those Grizzlies fans are are passionate and they're super supportive. So I, I think to feel seen on the national stage, he had a whole uh, city um, that even if they aren't a super fan of the basketball team, wanted to see Memphis represented on an, on the national level. Phoenix, they were in, in the finals, but that still doesn't even make front page news if you're in Phoenix. What do you think Chris Paul said when he didn't, get the start and and who did he text first like who in the league does he text first to be like you fucking kidding me well he texts state farm and it's like i knew i shouldn't have shared that commercial with sabrina i ask you does he does he text a teammate first or does he text like lebron and just be like bron what's the deal oh he 100 percent does that 100 <laughs> percent. or like uh no still, he, the, 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 the banana boat is still incomplete or, or he tries to go on the old man and, and the three with J.J. Redick. Now that Redick stars media climbing and and like make <laughs> right. his case. So Chris Paul, always always up to, up to shenanigans. Always a shitster. All right, let's move to the East. Yeah, yeah, let's do it. In the Eastern Conference, as I said, uh, your boy Kevin Durant, team captain, um, he, he'll be paired with, well, he won't be paired with because he won't be playing, but uh, Giannis Antetokounmpo, Joel Embiid, and then at the guard position, Trey Young, DeMar DeRozan. Uh, any objections there? Or here, here's how I should leave this off. Because Katie's not playing, who is going to replace him in the player pool? So I'd say two things to answer both your questions. I think DeMar DeRozan is, is fine as a guard. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I like that pick, and I want him to be rewarded for the season he's having. The thing I didn't buy, and you said it in the intro, is like, why is Zach Levine necessarily the uh, the one to be over Trey Young or to replace Kevin Durant? Well, hey, he's a backcourt player, so he's not going to replace Durant. But uh, you know, why do you make why do people make such an argument for Zach Levine? They're not making an argument for James Harden. Oh, well, because I think people look at Zach Levine as more of a guy on his team compared to James Harden. That's just a public perception, and I think that's a big part of the reason, and we haven't even talked about this on the show, about James Harden allegedly wanting out of Brooklyn is the perception of what he is in this league. It may be a James Harden thing, but it's kind of taken a hit when it shouldn't have at all because he's done more. Yeah, yeah, yeah exactly. I, every time I look... It looks like the 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 Nets are the number one team in the East, and Harden put up like 35, 12, and twelve. Sure, it looks a little fatter than it used to, but I mean he's carrying that fucking team, yeah. and they're no, I shouldn't say that. KD was carrying that team, and then he was carrying that team, and you know they fall apart when he's not there. I think he's having a better overall season than Zach Levine. Um, but that doesn't answer the Kevin Durant question, which, you know, in the front court, you're looking at uh, who to replace him, you know, uh, Tatum, Jared Allen, Jimmy Butler, uh, you know, v- Vucevic. I mean, I think what, what do we think about the fro as as a, a, a NBA starter? I mean could be right so if you want somebody from cleveland do you almost just go fuck it and, and say shack rules apply and we're just gonna put evan mobley in there what mobley i'm talking about the fro you gotta put jared i know allen, you want to put jared allen there. starting center in cleveland that, that i think that would be a beautiful thing yeah not gonna happen but that'd be a beautiful thing so who are they actually gonna replace him with Oh. Is it Tatum? Tatum well, is the next vote getter. Well, so. there's 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 a team that we're not talking about, and and I don't know how they figure into All Star Weekend as well. The Miami Heat, heck of a season, yeah. Top of the Eastern Conference, you got to figure out a way to get them in there. But uh, Jimmy Butler's hurt, Bam Adebayo's hurt, so yeah. 
what's your option? Tyler Hero? You're not going to make Tyler Hero an all-star. Like, come on. <laughs> no, this is crazy. Yet. Not yet. I mean, I guess Jimmy Butler's healthy right now. I just don't know if he's, you know, met, you know, met the um, requirement for games, really. That. Um, and remember in L.A., he turned down the all-star game. So I think it's kind of like once you turn them down, you're like eternally out of the club. So I, I don't think, I think they go back to Jimmy. I think they're putting Jason Tatum in there who just continually mm. – loses up i feel like he's he's like <laughs> the Eric some Trump. version of like uh, a, a corporate dude who went through like private schools and prep schools and the good colleges and goes to a corporation and is always good but you know a little under his potential and and just keeps losing up it's jason tatum See earlier in the episode, you you were said that I was subtweeting you. Now I think you're subtweeting me back that I'm failing up. That that and, I went to oh. and 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 Denny. <laughs> let me just get this off my chest while we're talking about it. Am I really supposed to believe that James Harden, man of the night, young playboy, you know, gazillionaire who who wanders around and loves like big flashy lights and basketball? Wants to go to fucking Philadelphia? <laughs> you fucking kidding me? Uh, the only justification I could see for this is maybe the uh, more inexpensive price points for strip clubs and ladies of the night. But I don't think that's a concern for James Harden. And uh, just let me tell anybody who's listening who's not from this area, you're not heading that 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 60 miles down the turnpike and going to Philly for, for something more elegant. Um I don't so know about I, this. I, I don't buy that. I don't. I don't really buy these James Harden to Philly conjecture at uh, at all. Or he saw Ben Simmons, who's not even playing, pull like the host of like England's American Idol, right, and be like, "Oh, he's playing to Philly, and he can pull that flying on private planes." Hey, there's a you know you, you can go anywhere from Philly. Everywhere has an airport, and it's if true. you've got the PJ. Well, all those cheesesteaks are nice to come home to. What's Philly? United Hub? United Hub. Right? Uh, American. Mm. It's sad, but anyway. All right, next up on the docket, this past week, Red Sox legend David Ortiz was the sole player voted into the Baseball Hall of Fame by the Baseball Writers Association of America, the BWAA, making it the first year on the ballot with the announcement come, that came Tuesday on MLB Network. Uh, Ortiz was named on 307 of the 394 ballots. Uh, but the big story here is who was left out of the club, who was left out in the cold, who was looking for a little scratch up there in, in Cooperstown. Uh, in the final year of eligibility, Barry Bonds, Sammy Sosa, Roger Clemens, and Kurt Schilling were denied entry into the Hall of Fame. Um, so the baseball writers here have spoken. They made it definitively clear where they stand on anybody who was at all linked to the steroid ever, and they think that they should be wiped from history. So... Uh, a lot to get oh, yeah, into about yeah. these guys each individually. But, Benny, what do you make of this statement? Uh, I think it's wild. I mean, I've been uh, I've been on the train for a few years now that I think Barry Bonds should be in the Hall of Fame specifically. Like, I don't have an overall take on the people of the steroid era, and I do believe that the people who were cheating or presumed cheating and the people who have been caught should be punished in some way for those actions and i think a marginal hall of fame player you can use that against them and you can take them down a notch when you're talking about people who hold uh, major league baseball records in many many crucial categories single season and career um someone who is arguably a hall of fame player not even arguably was a hall of fame player prior to uh to the steroid era I think this one was like a no-brainer to me for a long time. And, um, you know, I think Jeff Passan's been a good voice for this in the way that uh, the idea that, like, what is a Hall of Fame for, right? Is it for the writers? Is it for, you know, the, the actual athletes? It's probably more for us as a fan, you know? And if you're going to the Hall of Fame you should be able to understand the story of baseball kind of chronologically. And that doesn't mean you have to bullshit and whitewash everything, but you can actually tell the story the way it happened and put these people in. You can call Ty Cobb a fucking racist. You can 
say that George Brett was on speed. You can say that Barry Bonds is doing steroids. Like, you can put that on the plaques. We don't have to bullshit it, but you still need to recognize the fact that this person had a actual sports career that was extremely worthy of the Hall of Fame, you know? Um, I think I heard the story. It's just one of those funny ones where you you know what was happening, but this was just a good... Um, Reference was apparently, you know, back in the clubhouse, there used to be two pots of coffee, one called leaded, one called unleaded, and the leaded version had amphetamines in it. So that's how many of these guys were, were hopped up on caffeine and speed and playing this game. And, you know, God knows the other kind of stuff that's happened over the years. So it's just like, I do think if Barry Bonds was a different person, personally and the way he had just that contentious thing with the media for so many years that like you know maybe he would have gotten in if it wasn't for that but uh i think it's a shame the whole bonds thing here is 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 incredible to me because you know going through some of of these bonds numbers not to mention the fact that after the lockout where we lost a world series baseball was very much on the brink the Sosa McGuire thing brought everything back, and it was front Saved page it. headlines again. Save baseball. Summer of '98. Yeah. Oh my baseball. gosh, that yeah. that was uh, fortunately the first summer of baseball I remember, and I was hooked like immediately. Like like this is so crazy. Um, I was leaving dinners to be like, yeah. <laughs> "Yo, McGuire's the guy's second at bat. I gotta go. I gotta yeah. go." Oh my goodness. But uh, no, the Bond stuff is crazy though, because I was like, I, I like he was one of the first players. I, I remember the whole career, like the Pittsburgh to uh, San Francisco. But just some incredible numbers from Bonds. Bonds had five seasons in which he salvaged a, a 400 on base percentage in two strike counts. And since the data became available in 1988, only Wade Boggs and Joey Votto have, have done that. So just crazy. And then uh, Bonds had 102 games in, in which he homered and stole a base. Uh, that's the most in baseball history by uh, by 15 over. Wait for it, Ricky Henderson, and Ricky Henderson, first ballot Hall, Hall of Famer. Easy. So, so just all all of these things are just like Bonds. You can't tell the story of baseball without Bonds. You can't tell the history of baseball without Sosa, McGuire. Heck, even Clemens has over 3,000 strikeouts. Oh no, Clemens should easily yeah. be in there. I mean, like, dude, Cy Young after Cy Young, like he was the most dominant pitcher of his era for. 10 years. I thought Roger Clemens was an asshole. <laughs> I still kind of do. Yeah. I think Kurt Schilling's an asshole. I like, and I just, uh, you see what happens when you leave it to other people to judge other people. And that's what they've left it as. And I think that's one of the inherent issues with this vote is that inside the language of how these voters are supposed to vote list the words, integrity and character. And you're supposed to be judging these things. And that's where, like, I don't trust anyone to make that decision. You know, I don't trust a sports writer or a politician or myself to make that judgment about other people I don't know. And that's not the judgment I should be making in regards to a sports career. So I think it's a, a little ridiculous. And I'm honestly, I'm a little fearful about it's almost like uh and maybe one of the reasons people like me are so invested in it is like we're losing our era mm. to the from the Hall of Fame. Like we're losing our guys. I'm not going to get Bonds. I'm not going to get A-Rod. I'm not going to get, even though they did what they did and were punished for it, um, it, it's almost as if like this whole era of baseball is going to be lost in some ways in the historical context. And, and I fucking hate that because I watched baseball the whole time. Yeah when this was going on and I loved it and it means a lot to me. Um, so <laughs> I, I think it's ridiculous and uh, I would love to see it changed. If, if Ty Cobb can be in the hall of fame, Barry Bonds should be in the fucking hall of fame. Of course. I mean, you can't tell the story of a baseball, like Schilling's blood, b bloody sock. Yeah. Susan Wallman freaking out that Roger Clemens is in George Steinbrenner's box. Like all of this stuff is just like great baseball stuff. That's, that's part of history. Like pe people remember yeah. it. So, and that's what I'm saying. You you put it on the plaque, right? Yeah. You put the career accolades, the bloody sock, and then you go. And then, you know, towards the end of his uh, career, had a contentious relationship with the trans community and this community. And maybe, you know, you don't even say if he was a good guy or a bad guy. You just say literally what he'd done. Yeah. And you get to make the choice for yourself, you know? And also, how is 
Big Poppy just getting forgiven. Like, like he actually failed the test. Dude, he's the class. <laughs> See, and this is the classic thing we talk about with Kobe, Kyrie, like all these guys. Poppy, for some reason, just didn't live under the cloud of it. It was, it was a strange phenomenon. Maybe because he was always gigantic. Mm. You know, like he was always this giant mountain of a person where people thought, you know, steroids could only help him stay healthy, not get help him get stronger. I, I don't know what exactly the justification was, but Alice Rodriguez and Barry Bonds and Roger Clemens were all extremely contentious people when they played. They had a lot of enemies on a lot of teams and a lot of writers. David Ortiz didn't. He was just this beloved guy that everybody liked. So he did the same exact thing and he fucking got in. Like it's, you know, it's, it's almost so clear when you put it out like that, that it's ridiculous. Yeah. Um, it, it's also important to, to note here that uh, there is for future chances for these guys to get into the Hall, Hall of Fame. Um, I, I believe it's called what, like, like, like the Legends Committee or like something oh, like that. Where, where so it's know. like all these Hall of Fames have like you have your initial window and then you can get in in, in future voting. It's kind of like the Lifetime Achievement Oscar. Oh, uh, yeah. So is like, that how like like the you know Negro League players yeah. and stuff like that are getting in? Okay, yeah. so there's still right. hope. Well, there's still hope. Okay, okay. Maybe someone will get their sense about them. Yeah. Well, speaking of someone who had their sense knocked out of them, Tom Brady. No, just yeah. <laughs> um, so we're going to go to the NFL now. Tom Brady had a chance to end a 56-year quarterback curse this season, uh, but due to the Buccaneers' loss in the divisional round, that curse will be continuing more. What's his curse? No quarterback in NFL history has ever led the league in passing yards and won the Super Bowl in the same year. And that happened as the Buccaneers fell to the Rams 30 to 27 in the divisional rounds. Rams, though, still have a chance to be the second team ever to play in a Super Bowl in their own stadium behind who who else but uh, Tampa Bay and Tom Brady from last year. Uh, mm-hmm. So uh, there's been a lot of speculation. You've even heard Tom talking more about his family and, and his wife and being a father this offseason. Do you think that this is the last time we've ever seen Tom, ba- Tom Brady play football? Hard to say. Yeah. My instinct is no. My instinct is that the the Tom Brady thing that he used to say, which is, if I am physically capable of playing at a top level, I want to play. And, uh, you know, I think a lot of people who are not uh, crazy competitive professional athletes go to the default of like, okay, I lost. Let's kick it up. Let's hang up our boots. We lost. But to a professional athlete, I always wonder, eh, maybe that's more, you know, like that, that does something to him when you when you get to the second round of the playoffs and lose and lose in close fashion, you know, you could have had it again. And for someone like Tom Brady, that spins wheels in a way that I don't even think I can understand, you know, because he's fucking Tom Brady, like, you know, and I got to just these are the most competitive people on earth, you know, so. My instinct is that he comes back, even though on paper, teams got some holes. Like, is Tampa uh, out of the gate next season with a 45-year-old Tom Brady, like the likely favorite? Eh, maybe not. Um, I've been hearing chatter of him, you know, going back home to San Francisco and jumping on that team, even though the fit seems to make sense. The move doesn't make a lot of sense to me for Brady. I don't see him jumping again before he retires. I mean, again, possible. Um, so my instinct is he comes back, but the one uh, difference is is the way he's talking. I mean, Tom Brady is usually never this vocal about taking time and talking to family. And this is a family decision, not just me and this and that. Like, it's not usually the way he talks either about this stuff. So um in that regard, it's a little bit of a mixed message. So as usual, uh, the conversation we're having, people are going to be having for the next couple months because Tom Brady is really good at getting people to talk about him. Um, <laughs> and he's going to keep us doing it. But that's where I'm at right now with it. Yeah. Now, he's had this remarkable thing in his 40s of building the TB12 business, building his low-key media empire. 
But as as we're kind of seeing guys like like Peyton being able to do their thing, we see a guy like, and this is a story we didn't even touch on, Sean Peyton leaving coaching the Saints for TV opportunities. I think yeah. that money's getting so crazy that it's almost more than he could get playing football next year. So he's almost looking at this like a business decision that he steps away. You know, he had his man in the arena documentary so he's gradually been growing this media empire and business thing so i'm not so sure how much that this is like a family thing i mean i'm sure that plays a massive role in it as oh i'm more of a mogul it's like jay-z outgrowing putting out albums it's like oh i'm i'm this business mogul now and i don't kind of need the thing that made me famous yeah sure that makes sense um but again i think it just discounts that that thing yeah a thing that made Tom Brady Tom Brady, you know, yeah. like the, the thing that made a that late pick, you know, jump in and think he was that good. Yeah. No, he was that good. You know, uh, men like us just can't understand it. But what we could understand, Tom Brady, New York Giants next year. Who says no? <laughs> I'll take him. <laughs> Fuck it. No, I'll stick with Daniel Jones. Oh, get out of here. That's so crazy. <laughs> That's so crazy. I, oh, my gosh. All right. Plenty of ways to get in contact with the show. You can email us at the tune podcast at gmail.com. Two P's in there. Uh, if you want to follow us on all the social platforms, we are at the tune up HQ on Twitter, Instagram, and TikTok. Be sure to subscribe to the YouTube channel. Uh, if you want to follow the big man, he's at Benny Horowitz one, number one in your mind, number one in your heart, number one on Twitter. I am at Danny underscore Gallagher. Benny, you got anything else? No, I'll tell you what I tell my kids every day. Be kind. Try your best and rewind. The show has ended. Go in peace. You've been listening to The Tune-Up.